Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We've been pointing out often in this series of programs that Jesus was a first-century Palestinian Jew, and his teaching is thoroughly rooted and grounded in the Hebrew Bible, what we mistakenly call the Old Testament. You see, the Old Testament is in no sense passé or finished or obsolete from the Christian point of view. Jesus based his religious teaching, his saving teaching indeed, on that 77% of our Bible, which we call the Old Testament. Actually, it should be called the Hebrew Bible. It was Jesus' Bible. Not for one moment did Jesus say that that Hebrew Bible was finished or passé. It was the basis of his own teaching. And Paul took the same view as Jesus exactly. After all, Paul was a tremendous exponent of the Christian faith, and he followed exactly in his master's footsteps. Paul said that the gospel had been preached to Abraham in advance, Galatians 3, verse 8. That tells us something essential about the saving gospel. It's based on the contract and covenant and the arrangements made between God, the one God of Israel, and Abraham. The gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. Could you explain the gospel by appealing to the arrangements that God made with Abraham most Christians seem to have forgotten entirely that their faith is rooted and grounded in the Hebrew Bible. If the gospel was preached to Abraham, what was it that God spoke to Abraham, which is so fundamentally important for the gospel? According to Paul in Galatians 3, verse 8, if Abraham is the father of the faithful, then we must found our faith on exactly the same faith as Abraham's faith, now, Abraham, as you remember from Genesis 12, was promised two major components. Two major components make up the contract or covenant made between God and Abraham. The first of these is the promise of the land forever and in perpetuity. Remember that God said to Abraham, I will show you a land. God, as you read in Genesis 12, invited Abraham to leave his own native country, his immediate circle of friends and even some of his relatives, and to proceed to a land that God would show him. Now, the fact that Abraham was willing to give up all of those things which were nearest and dearest to him, his country, his relatives, his circle of friends and so on, to abandon, in fact, his native country where he'd been rooted since birth, the fact that he was willing to give up all of that for a greater cause, is the essence of Christian faith. Abraham, according to Romans 4, verse 11, is the father of all who believe. In other words, he's the father of Christian believers. Could you say with confidence that Abraham is your father? Do you consider your Christian faith to be rooted in and patterned after the faith of Abraham? According to Romans 4, 16, Christians are those who, quote, belong to the faith of Abraham. Romans 4, verse 16. Could you say with confidence that you belong to the faith of Abraham? What would that faith of Abraham be like? 
These are reasonable and sensible questions for Christians, if indeed we are to do justice to these basic biblical statements that Abraham is our father and that as Christians we should believe and belong to the faith of Abraham. Again in Romans 4 verse 12, Christians are said to be those who walk in the steps of our father Abraham. It would make perfect sense then that we should go back to the arrangements that God made with Abraham to see what the elements of his faith were like. In Genesis 12:1, we read that the Lord said to Abraham, Now go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. That, as we were just mentioning, is the first element, the first component in the Abrahamic faith, the promise of the land. And they then set out, we read in this account of Abraham's response to God's call to the land, Abraham's family set out for the land of Canaan, Genesis 12, verse 5. And thus they came to the land of Canaan. And Abraham passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem, to the oak of Mori, and the Canaanite was in the land at that time. And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And Abraham then expressed his intelligent response and obedience to the promises of God here by building an altar and worshipping the one God of Israel, the Father of Jesus Christ. Now later in Genesis 13, that promise of the land, we remember this is the first component in the Abrahamic contract or covenant between God and Abraham. In Genesis 13, we have a repetition of this promise of the gift of land. Genesis 13 and verse 14 says, Now all the land which you see, I will give it to you and your descendants forever. Abraham had just been invited to lift up his eyes and look from the place where he was, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see, I, it is God speaking here, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. And then God goes on to say that he will make his descendants as the dust of the earth. Arise, Abraham, God finally said to him in Genesis 13, verses 14 to 17, Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Now, this promise of the gift of land, the promise indeed of real estate, a part of this planet, was repeatedly made to Abraham. It was repeated, for example, in Genesis 15 and verse 7. God said to Abraham, I am the Lord, that's Yahweh, the name of the one God of Israel, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to possess it. And again then in Genesis chapter 15, verse 18, on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. There's the famous covenant made with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, the bedrock foundation of the Christian gospel, as Paul pointed out in Galatians 3, verse 8. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your descendants I have given this land. It's interesting to note there the use of the past tense. God says in this verse in Genesis 15, verse 18, I have given this land to your descendants. 
Well, of course, he had not yet given anything to the descendants of Abraham. But when God says, I have given it, it means that he's promised to give it. Now, that's one of the great keys to understanding the Bible. It's possible for God to speak of things in the past tense which actually have not yet taken place. The point is that they have taken place in the mind of God, in God's intention, and therefore they can be expressed as having actually happened. I have given you this land means I promise to give it to you in the future. Now, with that principle in mind, that God is able to speak of things as having been given, meaning that he's promised to give them in the future, think of a verse like John 17, verse 5. In that verse, Jesus said, Glorify me with the glory which I had with you before the foundation of the world. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that Jesus was actually alive before his birth and that he had that glory? Or does it perhaps mean that God had promised to give him the glory which he now asks for? Remember in your Bible study the possibility that things which are spoken of in the past tense may be in fact things which God has promised for the future. God had given the land to Abraham's descendants according to Genesis 15:18, but in fact he'd not given it. It simply meant that he'd promised to give it in the future. Now think of John 17:5 again. Glorify me with the glory which I had which I'd been given, if you like, before the foundation of the world. That may simply mean that God had promised to give it to him. Let me point out the danger of reading the Bible in the light of the creeds and the beliefs which we may have accepted uncritically without careful examination. Glorify me with the glory which I had before the foundation of the world. To many believers, simply means that Jesus thought that he was alive before he was born, and that he'd enjoyed glory with the Father before he came to the earth. But that's a typical example of reading the Bible through the prism and the spectacles of later church creeds. Is it really true that Jesus existed before his birth? Where in Matthew, Mark, or Luke would you find such a thing? According to Luke chapter 1, the Son of God was a new creation in the womb of his mother Mary, According to Gabriel's announcement to Mary, the Son of God was to be the product of that supernatural conception which occurred to Mary. The Son of God was not a pre-existing being who came from heaven. He was to be created anew, a new creation in the womb of Mary. Just as Adam had been the Son of God by direct creation, so Jesus as the Son of God is the new creation, the head of the new humanity, a new form of man, a brand new type of man, the model of what human beings are supposed to be. But it's because of that supernatural miracle in the womb of Mary that Jesus is to be called the Son of God. Luke 1, verse 35. Now you may say, what is the connection between the sonship of Jesus, the fact that he's the Son of God, created brand new by a marvelous miracle in the womb of Mary, What's the connection between all of that and the promise made to Abraham? Well, simply this, that in addition to the land promised to Abraham in perpetuity, there was to be a distinguished descendant of Abraham. To you and to your seed I will give this land. 
And so the land and the promised descendant form the two components of the Abrahamic faith. And remember, as we said earlier, Christians are to walk in the faith of their father Abraham. It follows then that the basis of our Christian faith, indeed the basis of the gospel, is exactly this twofold promise made to Abraham of the land and the seed. The seed and the soil, we might say. Not only the piece of real estate, the territory promised to Abraham in perpetuity, but also the promise of a distinguished descendant, who of course was to be the Messiah. As Paul said in Galatians 3.16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He doesn't say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. And in verse 18 of Galatians 3, if the inheritance, the inheritance of the land, that is, of course, if the inheritance is based on law, it's no longer based on a promise, but God has granted it, the inheritance, that is, to Abraham by means of a promise. And that promise was made not only to Abraham, but to his distinguished seed, the Messiah. He is the recipient of the land promise. Jesus is the one destined to receive the promise of the land, which in the New Testament becomes the promise of the inheritance of the kingdom. Blessed are the meek, Jesus said, they're going to inherit the kingdom, or we might say they're going to inherit the land. In that way, the Abrahamic promise is the basis of the Christian gospel. Join us again as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.